Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that is as butchered as a fit dogger. No, wait, sorry. As dogged as a butcher having a fit. No, hang on. Um, as butt as a filchered dog. Okay, I give up. But I can do at least one press-up, so you're in very, very safe hands. I'm Tiernan Duyeb, and this week, as the Prime Minister and man who every day looks more and more like he's being consumed by a scribble, Boris Johnson, promises that with his new economic policy to save Britain, we will not go back to the austerity of ten years ago. I'm certain that's because he has something new planned, which is worse, and it'll probably be called being so poor you have to eat your shoes for Britain. It becomes more and more clear every day that whenever Boris Johnson has evoked the notion of blitz spirit in order to deal with the coronavirus pandemic, what he means is that he regrets not being alive back then to witness all the buildings being bombed by the Nazis, as he could have handed out a ton of construction contracts to mates for cheap in order to build flats that no one could afford to live in and bridges absolutely no one needed. For in this ever-rising and unnecessary coronavirus death toll and a worsening economic crisis, both of which his government have caused, as though had they starred in Sophie's Choice they'd have shouted, take both of them, and then boasted about the free time they now had, it takes a special mind to decide that what the UK now really needs is the sinking ship to be helmed by even more landlubbers. The Prime Minister and his special adviser Dominic Cummings, the salacious B. Crumb to Johnson's jabber the shit, want to reset the government, even though it's obvious that turning it off and turning it on again won't help when all the main components of the machine are obviously corrupted. Probably best to just scrap everything and get a new one entirely. Cabinet Secretary, Head of the Civil Service and National Security Advisor Mark Sedwill, a man with the default face of seeing a surprisingly high gas bill, will be stepping down from his role in September after 30 years in the civil service. Though he's been in his current top civil servant role for less than two years, making him the shortest serving Cabinet Secretary ever. But I guess that does match a cabinet that keeps coming up short on everything it promises to serve. In his resignation letter to the Prime Minister, Sedwill wrote that we have agreed that I will stand down which sounds like it's saying it's a mutual business arrangement that you're being forced at gunpoint to hand over all your cash. Said Will wanted to move on, said number 10, using the same language it kept asking everyone to do with Dominic Cummings' eye test road jolly, and translated means we told him to stop saying anything else out loud or everyone will realise how fucked things are. 
Who better to replace said Will in all those roles but someone who has absolutely no clue about any of them? Chief Brexit negotiator and constantly midway through a difficult shit, David Frost. He's a Brexiteer, so it makes sense that he turns up once someone's had to leave before fucking it up so there's no hope of it working again for anyone else in the future. There is concern that this is part of Dominic Cummings' plan to politicise the civil service, but I'd argue that with the hiring of David Frost, what could be more impartial and less biased than a complete lack of useful advice or any semblance of knowledge on issues? This is just the beginning of what is expected to be a major Whitehall shake-up, not unlike what US President and rusted Wally Bird Donald Trump did when he took office, leading to the Centre for Disease Control and Prevention to be underfunded and understaffed just in time for a pandemic. But I suppose, hey, what was the point in paying them just to shout at a human brick wall for four years? The big question is, just what sort of reform do Johnson and Cummings want instead? I mean, it's very hard to tell from a Prime Minister who thinks the best way to prove he's healthy enough to do his job is have a photo in where the words go if they're sent to hell, the Daily Mail, where he appears to be doing a press-up, or humping the floor, or waking up after a long nap on the carpet where he's consequently missed six Cobra meetings. I'm as fit as a butcher's dog, he said in the interview, making me wonder if, despite his promises of no austerity, he'll actually thrive on daily unwanted cuts. Meanwhile, his master Cummings insists on making beef that no one's ordered. To me, it just seems an incredibly basic thing to do, like Johnson's next step will be to get trade deals by showing other countries all the impressions he can do, or how he can jump off a two-foot wall which is really very high, or that he's managed to collect all the shiny stickers for his Panini album, even if he's put them all in the wrong squares. But hey, maybe I'm the idiot, and to everyone else it's very reassuring that Boris Johnson could go in a press-up pose for a still picture for 20 seconds, which means he's strong, unlike all those other idiots who died of Covid-19 because they were unpatriotic or something. But... Following Boris Johnson's diet plan for Britain, you can be strong too, as he's drawn up a schedule to tackle obesity across the country, failing to see, obviously, that the best fat we could cut from all the land would be him. The proposals include banning buy one get one free promotions from supermarkets because nothing will help people eat less than by making food more expensive for everyone who's just been made unemployed by the virus. It's very clear that none of the plans for Britain's future, whether it be this diet one or the economic one that he's proposing, will involve the government actively helping to make society better. It's all up to us. I mean, rather than reform work, make healthy food more affordable and living conditions better, all of which are proven to lead to a healthier lifestyle, it's up to you to get a gastric band fitted in an NHS that already has a year-long backlog. Is this a cry for help from Johnson, a man that's never been stopped from indulging in everything he does, maybe wishing that if only someone had stepped in and stuck a chastity belt on his skin tag penis and blocked him from spending money on not building bridges, that maybe he'd be closer to the man he actually wants to be. You know, a lazy trustafarian who's allowed to sleep in till midday without anyone complaining about care homes being like a zombie apocalypse or that he hasn't changed either his or his son's nappies since last week. Of course, we as the public do have to take responsibility for ourselves and it's why when Boris Johnson said he wanted to see hustle and bustle and that seaside towns should have a welcome sign up for visitors, we should have been aware that like everything else he's ever said, he actually meant the exact opposite. Despite the coronavirus, thousands packed onto Bournemouth Beach during the heatwave last week, though I suppose Bournemouth has always been somewhere people go to to spend their last few days. The same occurred on beaches around the country and beauty spots like the Lake District, and with no food outlets or public toilets open, everyone just dumped their litter everywhere and left shit in bags for locals to clean up the next day. Malicious carelessness, or is it an understanding that the country is in such a mess that it's a bit like how I haven't cleaned my flat in three months because I know no one's coming round for ages? Or maybe everyone was once again following the examples set by the government and trashing the place while taking a shit over public facilities that everyone enjoys. 
Johnson said that people were taking too many liberties, you know, by doing all the things that he encouraged them to do just days before. And he's threatened that beaches may need to be closed if coronavirus infections rise. I mean, that sounds a little bit too late, but I guess it will stop people trying to flee our contaminated country and just be trapped here with COVID-19 like true patriots. What is odd is that the Prime Minister was known for regularly saying in his many after-dinner speeches that the real hero of Jaws was the Mayor, who allowed the beaches to stay open despite a whopping great big shark. And a lot of what Johnson does seems to be about allowing more access to things that he thinks are great and white. I guess maybe he just puts listening to the people first, and shutting off our coastlines is what Britain voted for back in 2016. I'm sure that when pubs open up again on July the 4th, that'll be what people need in order to act more responsibility and keep their social distance. As I'm not sure if you know, but alcohol is absolutely brilliant for helping people understand boundaries and act sensibly. I mean, when you look at the list of types of venue that are and aren't allowed to open, it does look like it was less decided by science and more by whatever the Prime Minister likes doing. Pubs, restaurants, getting a haircut and even model villages are all set to return, despite the latter having even less space to social distance in any of its premises. But that fits with what Johnson likes, doesn't it? Drinking, eating, his stupid barnet hair and towering over the little people. Meanwhile, swimming pools remain closed because the Prime Minister always throws himself into the deep end with no ability and bowling alleys can't open because the Conservatives are always against people having a strike. Theatres, comedy clubs and art centres still can't open, but the culture secretary and the sort of person who probably just says they eat food to eat, not for enjoyment, Oliver Dowden, has released a five-stage plan, which is so useless that I'm sure it's so called because that'll be the only amount of venues left when the pandemic stops. You'll even be able to have a holiday in Europe from July the 6th, thanks to what the government are calling air bridges, which is yet again from Johnson, another land-crossing structure that costs money but will never actually materialise. You might think it's odd that new mothers can't have partners at the birth of their child yet, or people can't go to family funerals, or grandchildren can't see grandparents, but you can hop on board an airtight cramped metal tube to fly to the Costa del Sol and cough on someone who's being underpaid to give you a towel. And that maybe it's just simply too dangerous to go on holiday in Europe, as the World Health Organisation have said that resurgences of virus around the continent are alarming. But look, you'd be wrong, obviously, because Conservative MP, who always appears to be on an indefinite student placement, Hugh Merriman, said on Channel 4 News, perhaps accidentally, that it's worth going abroad to Europe because you're less likely to catch the virus there than you are in England. It's very strange that European countries aren't banning us from travelling there when it's likely we'll just be bringing more virus over. But hey, maybe they're just used to us insisting on enforcing our culture wherever we go. Is this the new normal for us to be in an endless circular pandemic? Well, maybe that's our thing, you know, once we Brexit, that we can boast to the world that despite our finance, car and well everything sectors being screwed, we've successfully kept a virus alive like it was our shitty Tamagotchi. Oh, and look, our Prime Minister can pretend to do a press-up, so there you go, everyone, we'll be fine. I guess maybe it smooths over the lack of post-pandemic plan and avoids awkward questions about the inability to restart the country if we never actually get over it in the first place. Can we even call the cabinet disaster capitalists when they don't appear to know or understand what a disaster is, with their bar being so low that anything other than the entire country being swallowed by a sinkhole is seen as a level of success? Again, as per every week, I don't actually know. But what I do know is that what Johnson, Cummings and his ministers think is the solution is some sort of rearranging of Whitehall. As one of those ghost faces you might see in a doctored photo that will haunt your mind forever, Michael Gove, says major changes to the civil service are needed for them to be closer to the people. Something that doesn't sound like they'll be adhering to social distancing measures. And what better way to make the civil service closer to the people than by making it look like actually it's all their fault that the government have made a number of terrible, terrible decisions.
The Labour Party have stayed consistent in making sure that regardless of what their regeneration is, they will still keep the character trait of self-loathing at the forefront of what they do. Labour leader and what if someone shoved a hairdryer on full blast into a cockatoo's face, Keir Starmer, sacked Rebecca Long-Bailey, a.k.a. a Lowry painting of a quail's egg, for retweeting an article by actress Maxine Peake in The Independent that contained an anti-Semitic trope as well as a refutation of the trope from the paper. Which in Keir Starmer's eyes must be tricky because back in his legal days, in order to refute a claim, you'd have to state it first. Or perhaps, maybe now, the only way to really avoid all implication in 2020 that you agree with a statement is never to have seen it in the first place. But then I guess someone would probably have to show it to you to double check how you feel about it. And then once you've seen it, automatically you're in a lot of trouble. Long Bailey also tweeted that she didn't agree with all aspects of the article, but at the same time she refused to take her tweet down, and so Keir Starmer sacked her as part of his zero-tolerance to anti-Semitism policy. While I have many questions about this, such as if I retweet a full-fact article that says people say that Bill Gates has a coronavirus vaccine before then saying that actually they're all incorrect, does that mean I'm guilty of spreading incorrect rumours? I do think it's fine to go through with the zero-tolerance policy that you've actually promised you'll have. I just wish Starmer would have the conviction to also apply it to his shadow minister and extra from a property show, Rachel Reeves, who tweeted a thread of admiration for the first female MP, Nancy Astor, who was a literal Nazi sympathiser. But then the thread didn't also refute that she was a Nazi sympathiser, so maybe it was fine. I'm not sure I know the rules anymore. Also, I'd like to see more of that immediately decisive action from Starmer when it comes to the affairs of the Conservative Party. As while it's clear one tweet was enough for him to condemn a member of his own party, when it comes to housing minister and what happens if you put gloss on a beanbag, Robert Jenrick, who has evidence stacked up against him of breaching ministerial code, the Labour leader wouldn't say that he needed to go. And this is my main issue with Keir Starmer, who went on the news today to say that Black Lives Matter's call to defund the police was nonsense and that their protest against hundreds of years of oppression was a moment, as though hopefully if he ignores it, it'll be finished by tomorrow. Walking cesspit Nigel Farage retweeted Starmer, saying he agreed with him, so I guess those are the voters that Labour would like to get back now. It's a shame he doesn't expand his zero-tolerance policy to all racism, or he'd have to remove himself for belittling years of oppression. But it does seem like his main idea of how to take things forward is to get them to where they were five years ago. You know, when people were so happy that they voted in protest to leave the European Union. Still, I suppose having him in charge of Labour must be nice for all the people who are sick of having no one to represent them. The people who aren't prepared to think outside the box as it might be cold there and full of things they'd have to think about. Starmer is very much like the eagles of politics, with the only difference being that this could be heaven or this could be hell, but he wouldn't like to say until there's been an inquiry into it. The UK has started work into buying its own sat-nav system after we had to leave the European Galileo one due to Brexit. They're investing millions of pounds into a company called OneWeb, which just sounds like an unambitious spider. But experts have said that it's a fat waste of cash and they don't even have the right satellite to run a sat-nav system. Could you have expected anything else? I mean, who else but the Conservatives would fail to put sat-nav plans on the right course and then spend millions of pounds charging into a dead end? How is everything they do a metaphor for Brexit? Smug Ewok and Secretary for Work and Pensions, Therese Kofi, has announced that benefit sanctions will return this week as they need claimants to have commitment, you know, to get all those jobs that don't actually exist. I mean, again, it's your fault for not getting non-existent jobs after you caught coronavirus doing what the government told you to do and you failed to live in a home that wasn't built. I wouldn't mind if we were led by Mr. Impossible, who held everyone to the same high standards as his purple top hat itself, walking on ceilings and flying, but it really grates when it's by someone who can't even manage more than one press-up. OK, OK, fine, I'll get a job that your non-management of the crisis has destroyed if and when Johnson manages to discover Atlantis and Theresa Kofi slays a dragon. The Ministry of Justice has announced that in order to support the economy, it is building four new prisons because I guess where else will they put all the claimants who aren't committed enough to get money from imaginary situations?
A horrific incident in Glasgow on the weekend uh, saw six people stabbed and the attacker and asylum seeker had been housed in a hotel in the city, shot by police. The Scottish Government have said they'll review the treatment of asylum seekers, which is overdue and much needed. And I say that partly selfishly, as most of them incoming from the next few years will be from England. The good news for Scotland, though, is that medical experts reckon the country should be coronavirus-free by the end of summer, which I think in many parts is about five minutes after it started. Scotland have cleverly not changed their lockdown message from the start, with citizens unable to travel further than five miles since March, but that will change in July. The biggest issue, though, is the open border with Zombieland England, so may I suggest a quarantine zone in Gretna Green? Only because I reckon it will put a lot more people off runaway marriages if they have to live together for two weeks first. The Republic of Ireland finally has a new government and it only took them 140 days after the election to manage it. It'll be a coalition after the Green Party decided by majority to prop up the other two parties that have shared power in Ireland since forever, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. I suppose it does make sense that the Greens would do that rather than back Sinn Féin as they're all about reusing old shit. Yet again, all the news from the US would require its own podcast, but reports have been leaked that show Russian military intelligence paid Taliban fighters to shoot US troops. And Donald Trump has vehemently denied any knowledge of this, which is a fair excuse, as he seems pretty unaware of most things. Sources say that the president was told about them in his daily intelligence briefings, though, which means that he's been hiding it from the American public. Isn't it incredible that in the UK we have a prime minister who's trying to prove himself with press-ups, and in the US their supposed leader has yet again been indulging in Russian twists. Iran have issued an arrest warrant for Trump and asked Interpol for help to bring him in over the drone strike killing of Qassam Soleimani back in January. I'm not saying Iran are always so anti-American, but come on guys, don't push in the line and deny US citizens the chance to have him arrested first. Trump also retweeted a video of one of his supporters shouting white power, which he then later deleted. The US president said he didn't hear the racist chant, but I guess it is quite easy to tune out a sound that you hear so regularly. And in case you weren't worried about everything else enough, as a heatwave engulfs Siberia by the Arctic Circle, eco-pixie Greta Thunberg has said that the world needs to treat climate change with the same level of urgency as coronavirus. I agree, and also probably using the same methods, as if we all stopped going anywhere or doing anything at all, it would really, really help. My concern is telling the UK government to operate on the same level of plan, meaning that they'll just continue not to bother to tackle climate change until it's too late, instead indulging in mass coal-burning activities for the rich and waiting until vast amounts of people die before saying what would actually be best is if we just opened up all the pubs. And lastly, Leicester looks like it'll be the first city to have a local lockdown, but having spent hours failing to navigate their one-way system, I don't think anyone's able to leave the city anyway. Annual fraud data shows that more than £50,000 of antique clocks have been stolen from the Foreign Office, but I wonder if this is just part of Dominic Cummings' excessive plan to remove all the government old-timers. And there will be a TV drama made about the UK government's coronavirus response. I suggest they call it Twin Peaks. Hey you! Ah, another week, another... Oh god, there's so much news I'm not sure I should make a joke about. And that is why I'm never on the telly, you know, because I'm not edgelordy enough to go, here's a joke that'll make you sad because I was never loved as a child, or not vapid enough to have absolutely no opinions whatsoever. Um, I'd have to be on some sort of show, I think, that was just for, like, middle-aged people who don't have the energy to take down the system, aren't keen on upsetting people, and mainly just want to grumble about all of that, you know. Then what would happen, of course, is that grumbly middle-aged people like me would turn it off after two minutes, realising that it doesn't provide any escapism or enjoyment whatsoever and then it get cancelled so um, a bit pointless that's probably why it's almost exactly the only reasons why I'm not on the telly how are you all doing? Um, I've got over my hay fever issues of last week thanks to my doctor prescribing me a steroid spray for my nose which basically means I can pump iron with my nostrils yeah honestly give me a few more days of nose drugs and I'll be right out there with a mask just over my dorsum fighting crime calling myself the incredible trunk or something like that 
couldn't think of a better name. I, I did spend ages. Um, incredible track. It doesn't quite work. Anyway, thanks to uh, EJL on Twitter, who sent me an article all about how it's city planning that makes hay fever so crap, as there's loads and loads of male trees and not enough female or dio dioecious dioecious trees uh they're like the ones that aren't male or female and um they there aren't enough of them planted everywhere so basically there's just lonely angry male trees that are jizzing everywhere and causing trouble for everyone it's a bit like what's happening in the human world to be honest almost almost exactly the same anyway it's very good to know and please plant more non-male trees if you can um i'm not sure where or if you're allowed to just plant a tree somewhere probably not but if you could try before next summer i'd very much appreciate it so, anyway, uh, welcome back to another episode. Cheers for still being here. I'm aware there's less and less time in our lives to listen to this sort of thing, and even less so as we navigate the new normal, whatever the fuck that is. Um, but big thank you uh, this week to all of you, and also to Claire and Nick for the Kofi donations and lovely messages uh, that you put with them this past week. And again, all of that is, I mean, life-saving at the moment. So, um, as per every week, if you do for some reason, some weird reason, enjoy this show, uh, please do put £1 or 3 into the ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro or join the patreon.com forward slash parpol bro um, tell people you know about the show and give it a nice review like Spherical Nick did on Apple Podcasts this week I love that nickname Nick I don't know if all people call Nick automatically have a nickname but Spherical Nick's brilliant are you spherical in shape or life or just in a sort of roundabout kind of way um, I applaud whichever anyway and tar for the lovely lovely words and look is there a better way or place I should be asking you to plug this or do all these same boring bits that I say every single week? Maybe there's another way to best promote or support the show that you can think of. If there is, please let me know, as I have no excess brain space for New Thought right now. Um, and that is, of course, how the old power structures of uh, donating to a podcast or reviewing it win, because the system just wears us down until there's no time to work out what happens next or something. I was trying to be clever and analogous there, but it's definitely still handy if you send me money and write nice things. Yeah. Admin things. Um, sorry if you tried to tune into the live podcast last week. Um, I was all set up and prepped for it. And then there were issues on the website Ramble FM and it just didn't work. Um, it was doing me trying to load up a picture that was too big. Yeah, because I'm trying to see the big picture, but it only let me see the little picture. I was trying to be analogous there. It didn't. Anyway, look, it's a new site and they're asking me to try it. And if it's something, um, you know, that works, I think it could be really fun, especially if any of you are keen to call in and have a chat. Um, I kind of want it to be more like a discussion show than this one is, where maybe actually you can say you're wrong about all these ideas and I can go, oh, no, I don't know how to argue with you. It'd be brilliant. Um, anyway, the issue on the website's now been resolved, so I'm going to be test running it and trying it again soon. Please do check on all the social medias for when. Um, also, I'm going to be doing a gig again. Yeah, a real one, a real live one, one where I actually stand up and talk to people. Um, but it's a bit weird I'm supporting the wonderful Shappy Corsandi when she does a drive-in comedy gig near Brent Cross um, in London on July the 16th yeah I'm going to be basically be shouting at a car park for 15 minutes before Shappy does the same for 45 minutes um, if that sounds like your cup of tea and you live near there and drive uh, check out thedrivein.club for details and tickets there's a really weird rule where once you parked, if you need to leave, you have to leave your car there because otherwise you disrupt everyone else. And then they get you a cab and then you have to pick up your vehicle later in the week, which I think means it's the cheapest parking in London. So, um, I mean, just do that if you fancy fancy a trip. Right, on this week's show, um, 
I have a brilliant guest who is talking to me about Palestine and the annexing of the West Bank. And look, I'm sure some of you have already written me an angry email before I even finish that sentence. Um, look, I'm aware it's a constantly divisive issue. It's probably the most divisive issue that you could ever talk about on anything ever at the moment. Um, and of course, anti-Semitism is still dominating the Twitter political news cycle and some of the normal news cycle too. Um, so I can assure you, I've gone through absolutely everything that I and my guest said, uh, someone who I very much trust on this, and I'm pretty certain it's all gravy. And I've also done a little bit preempting it on one of the areas that we talk about before we do just to kind of clarify things but look if you're still really upset with any of the viewpoints that annexing the fuck out of the West Bank and abusing human rights is a horrible thing to do then please do get in touch and I'll read out your email on a future episode unless it's just shouty uh, and full of swears because um, that would be too similar to my rant <laughs> um, I'm joking what I mean is that if I've got anything wrong which is very important I don't want to have got anything wrong please do let me know um, and that's the same with any issues here on this show I don't want this podcast to be a one-sided debate even though it is because well I record it without you being here otherwise you'd be in the house and I'd be breaching lockdown rules anyway you know unless I lived in a pub from July which could work couldn't it but then that does make me what what a landlord's going to do if you can only socialise with two bubbles but you live in the pub where lots of other people anyway it's very confusing all I'm saying is I'm always happy to hear from you unless you're a parking penalty notice in which case go away I know it's hard to remember what with the cavalcade of considerable fuck-ups of the British, nay, English political system, bringing a daily horror akin to someone letting Goofy be in charge of Trident, but there is terrible stuff happening elsewhere in the world too. Take, for example, Palestine, a country that isn't even that, according to some, and the citizens of which have generally been persecuted for living where they live, something that shouldn't happen to anyone outside of Croydon. The situation in Palestine can be summed up by knowing that simply by mentioning its name, I've caused an argument somewhere. But it's very hard to see how anyone could justify the annexing of the West Bank that Israel plans to start from July the 1st, land grabbing by force from the people that live there while refusing to give citizenship to those whose home country will change under their feet within days. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who always looks like someone enhanced the photo filter definition on a picture of a sad Casio Cavello cheese and is currently on trial for corruption, said that Israel will apply sovereignty to up to 30% of the West Bank. Sovereignty, of course, being a phrase that we now in the UK know tends to actually mean it'll lead to ending a lot of people's rights and freedoms, as well as some very shit passports. There have been big protests against Netanyahu's plans by Israeli citizens and globally. Over 50 UN experts, seven UN European members, including France, Germany and surprisingly the UK, as well as many human rights organisations to name but a few, have all said this would be a violation of international law. South African Jewish journalist based in Israel, Benjamin Pogrund, has said that annexation will be apartheid. And even Shadow Foreign Secretary and Dora the Town Explorer, Lisa Nandy, who isn't certain if Donald Trump is racist or not, wants sanctions on goods from illegal Israeli settlements to the UK. Though the Board of Deputies of British Jews have urged Keir Starmer to reject Nandy's proposals as they're divisive, apparently. You know, unlike annexing people's lands for occupation, which is of just a cohesive uniting policy for everyone to get behind. And the White House, with old shouty orange indoors, hasn't actually endorsed the plan yet, despite it unveiling Trump's vision for peace six months ago, which again showed that his main idea of peace involves killing off the other side until they stop making a racket. There is a chance that the annexing plan will be diluted or at least delayed with all this international pressure, but to be honest, it's never made much difference before. And with Israeli Air Force jets firing on buildings in the Gaza Strip and rockets fired from Gaza towards Israel last week, it does all feel like this won't really lead to a peaceful outcome, unless you two like to use Trump's definition of that. And all of this during a global pandemic where the Palestinians can't stay at home because after Wednesday, it's likely they'll be told yet again that it isn't theirs to stay at anymore.
Oh, we thought our press up pretending Blamonge were prime minister who let 65,000 people die was bad. Oh, no, wait. Oh, no, wait. He is as well. And it's just that everywhere's on fire. Oh, well. So this week I spoke to Nicola Brudge, a long-time campaigner, activist and someone who uh, has worked with and raised a lot of money for medical aid for Palestinians. I've actually known Nikki for a long time after meeting her when she was in charge of the merch stand at Mark Thomas's brilliant stand-up show some years ago. And so I asked her all about what this plan means for the people who'll be losing their homes, if any of the political changes on Israel's horizon might make a difference and what exactly can be done to help from us all the way over here in Blighty. A few things to mention before kicking off this chat. Firstly, uh, we spoke for about an hour, but I've trimmed it down to 40 minutes, meaning that I've left out Nikki telling me some lovely tales of cultural elements of Palestine. Uh, one of the details of which was her mentioning how when Mark Thomas did his Walking the Wall show, uh, as he walked the entire length of the separation barrier between Israel and Palestine, he actually put on weight due to all the food that people he met would make for him. Um, I will uh, either put those extra bits out as a bonus pod or on the Patreon or somewhere very soon when I get a chance to do that. Don't worry. Secondly, as you may have noticed, uh, the anti-Semitism argument has been raging online again, what with Rebecca Long-Bailey sucking for retweeting an article that had a claim and a refutation of the claim by the editors in the same piece. Um, I'm still just mostly in shock that Keir Sama decided on something for once. Um, and then on Sunday, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement um, in the UK said that British politics had been gagged of the right to critique Zionism, uh, which many said was anti-Semitic because it assumed that Jewish people control all the media, which is an anti-Semitic trope. Um, and I am not sure if that's what they meant. I didn't type the tweet. Uh, what I would say is that I don't believe Jewish people control the media, but you don't get many Palestinian voices on the news in the same way you don't get many voices of people from Yemen on the news or anyone else that the UK government uh, has got political affiliations with, uh, Jewish, Muslim. Otherwise, um, there are other reasons for these things not happening. Um, either way, it's been up in the air and people been going over what anti-Semitism means and what it doesn't. Again, I'm not Jewish. I wouldn't like to decide for Jewish people what it does. But I thought I'd clarify some of the things we talk about in this chat um, because Nikki mentioned Zionism a few times uh, in this interview and I asked her about it too. And I thought that before we get to that point, this is a subject stickier than our sofa uh, once my daughter, sorry, agent has uh, poured apple juice all over it again. Um, but Zionism is by definition, a nationalist movement that believes in the Jewish state in the historic land of Israel that was created after the persecution of Jewish people in World War II with the belief that Jews would not be safe unless they had their own state. Not all Jewish people are Zionists and to make this even more complicated there are actually three forms of Zionism uh, if you include black Zionism as created by Marcus Garvey um, but we'll forget that one for a moment because it's honestly not very helpful right now. Um, there is left-wing Zionism which believes like many sensible types in a two-state solution and then there is right-wing Zionism uh, which now many when they refer to Zionism, um, as we do in this chat, and it's what the ruling parties in Israel have followed since at least the late 70s, and they believe that Palestine has absolutely no right to exist. Criticism of Zionism isn't in the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism, but using Zionists to incorrectly mean all Jewish people, or blaming all Jewish people for Israel's actions or all the ills of the world, is anti-Semitic. Right. So I, I'm very aware that during this interview, I should have said, if I was going to be very correct, uh, right wing Zionism um, when speaking about it. But I didn't because I'm an amateur. I'm sure I'll get at least six angry emails about this either way, not least from Marcus Garvey fans who think that what I said earlier meant that he wasn't very helpful in life, which isn't what I said at all, because he was just not in this. And look, why does no one listen? Anyway, as always, if you have any issues with any of this, then write to moi and I'll read them all out. And I promise it won't be in a silly voice. Right. After all that, phew, here is Nikki. Hi, Nikki. Um, right, so I'm very aware that I have not paid any attention to Palestine or, in fact, any other country apart from the horrors in the UK for quite some time. Um, and, and I wonder if you could just break down 
because I think we're only certain days away before uh, Israel allowed to formally annex parts of the West Bank. Um, and I wonder if you could explain what that means um, and how that's going to affect the Palestinian people. Um, well, hello, Tin, and, and thank you so much for inviting me on to talk about Palestine. Um, so ever since um, the uh, the British gave um, the Zionists in Eastern Europe the, 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 the sort of land to come over to um, Palestine and take it away, they have been taking further and further chunks of Palestine um, away from the Palestinians, the indigenous people. The annexation that's um, about to happen, it's all part of um, Trump's uh, peace plan, uh, which is an absolute joke because um, if, you, if you're going to have a peace plan between um, two countries, you need to have both countries together and agreeing things. Well, there was no agreement um, from Palestine. They did not agree to anything that was happening and they would not um, actually join in. Um, so it was just a case of Trump dividing up Palestine to give to the Israelis, um, which has not been agreed by any other country in the world. Um, the, and in fact, it's against international law that they are doing this. So, um, but unfortunately, um, Israel has broken so many international laws and they get the backing from uh, the USA and quite often the UK as well. Um, and by, um, when I say that, what happens is the UK government at the United Nations will abstain from um, sanctions against Israel when they're voting at the UN. So, um, so they get away with uh, quite literally murder, quite literally murder. But the amount of land that is about to be taken away basically leaves Palestinians with an absolute fraction of, of their um, their land. And the, the I mean, the, the thing was, it was a, a complete and utter lie. Um, when is well, when when the land was initially given away um, to the Zionists, then um, because obviously, you know, people didn't travel there. They didn't know. Um, everyone was told, you know, oh, it's just wasteland. Whereas, in fact, it's a really rich, fertile land um, where, you know, so many, um, so much produce is is grown. Um, and, uh, I mean, delicious food. It's just incredible. Um, and so that's, and, and there's this one thing called black gold, which is basically the dates. And, um, and that, that it has been handed over to, to Israel. Um, and um, and so there's just the, more of more of the land is going to be given away to them, and I, I I think the reason I get so upset about it is that I've got friends living there, uh, friends who've had land taken already, and friends who live in villages that are about to be destroyed um, because uh, Israel has been given the green green light by um, the international community to go for it. And what? happens to the people that are living there so um well there's you'll see a whole mixture of things going on for example at the moment there's a lot of house demolitions i mean there's a huge number of house demolitions so people are actually becoming physically homeless um and 
when we talk about um, refugees, so we've just had a refugee week and there are so many refugees, uh, Palestinian refugees living in their own um, country. And um, there are massive numbers of refugee camps where Palestinians live. Um, And when we talk about refugee camps, we're not talking about, you know, tented um, structure, but um, actually sort of like um, kind of brick squares that that large families live in. Um, And they are, you know, refugees in accordance with um, UNRWA. And... um, they basically, um, their, their land will be taken from them. They won't be able to farm there anymore. They will become homeless. They will probably be displaced. They'll probably move to a refugee camp. I mean, it, it's kind of unknown at the moment, really, what's going to happen to them. But um, you do see a lot of, um, you know, Palestinians who, who are, as I say, refugees within their own home. They have to move into a refugee camp. Um, uh, which are you know incredibly overcrowded areas um, and but but as part of this annexation when the land becomes Israel they will not get Israeli citizenship so at the moment the um, there's all sorts of different Palestinians and there's the uh, the way that the land is controlled by either the Palestinian Authority or Israel means you have different sort of sets of rules of where you live. Um, so, for example, you've got the Palestinians, where you've got the Israeli Arabs who are in places like uh, places like Nazareth and um, and Haifa. So you've got um, they're very kind of uh, they're still very strong Arab uh, regions. And um, but they are they are considered to be Israeli Arabs. Then you've got the Palestinians um, who have their Palestinian ID, and it also and it's you. It also means that they can go different places, travel different places. Um, they have different identification cards. They have different sort of like abilities to um, take part in democracy. Then in Jerusalem. Um, that's divided up even more so um, you can actually have Palestinians who are in the same family but they can't visit each other because some of the family live in Jerusalem and some of them live in the West Bank and they can't see each other. A friend of mine, his, um, his sister had a new baby and it was the family's first grandson and hit their mother, his mother, couldn't see her new grandson because the baby was in Jerusalem, born in Jerusalem, and she lived in the West Bank, and they couldn't um, see see the family. So families are split, really badly split. And if you've got anyone that's in Gaza as well, that's impossible to to, to visit them and have any, any relationship with them. Oh, that's so bleak. And, and I mean, you, you mentioned earlier that it breaches all UN Security Council re, uh, resolutions. Um, yeah. And it's broken. There's about of, 50 that they've broken. There's about 50. So, I mean, is it primarily the backing of the UK and the US that's making this so difficult? Because I, I just saw that Belgium have voted to recognise Palestine and they're now calling yes. for action if the annexing goes ahead. So th- there's obviously growing yeah. anger or growing support for Palestine yeah. here. Yeah. Well, they have, I mean, unfortunately, um, you know, there are some some big players that that are supporting um, Palestine. And when I say support, they tend to sort of, they'll abstain 
um, at the United Nations. So um, Moses India is very supportive of Netanyahu. Yet again, another right wing government um, who are um, doing exactly the same with Kashmir um, and the annexation there now, following completely in Netanyahu's uh, footsteps. You've got Bolsonaro, yet another you know right wing um, uh, you know power who again. Um, aren't condemning what what uh, Netanyahu and Israel are doing, um, and then yes, yeah, so it was last I think it was last year that Britain there was some sort of um, resolution going through the United Nations and the UK abstained, and it was just horrifying. It was to do with the um, deaths of um, medical workers uh, because. There have been horrendous numbers of deaths and injuries of um, people working in the healthcare service who are under the G Geneva Convention are supposed to be protected. The same with journalists, um, but they've been killed, and it the, it was just a call for sanctions against Israel. And even though um, medical aid for Palestinians and the um, the, the United Nations Special Rapporteur had, you know, done a, an incredible um, sort of report to the United Nations. Britain's um, delegation, they just abstained. They, they did not um, vote to sanction Israel. So, and it, it's, it's things like that that are basically sort of um, allowing Israel to just carry on indiscriminately killing um, Palestinians and taking their land away from them. Gosh, that's so horribly bleak, isn't it? What a horrible situation. And I'm guessing in the current coronavirus situation, that's making things worse. Um, is there, I mean, there's part of me, I, I was probably inventing this from, from there, but, you know, is did lockdown kind of mean that Israel were halting in, in annexing? You know, did, did the lockdown make anything slightly better or is it just actually the whole situation's got a lot worse overall? <laughs> No, the what happened was so so actually um, Palestine was one of the first countries to go for full lockdown. They um, but the trouble is they went for full lockdown, but it was the Israelis that controlled the border. Um, so it was kind of like convenient to them. They control the border anyway, but it was just like, oh, actually, yeah, we've you know, we can do a bit better now because Palestine needs to lock down because, um, they, you know, we no tourists could go because it was tourists that obviously took the um the virus there but it also meant that it was um because no tourists could go it also meant that no international solidarity um movements could go there as well and uh, the only people that could go there were um aids uh aid officials so um so it was it was even though it was palestine themselves that were, were locking down uh, and we're talking the West Bank here um, because it, it was in the West Bank first in, in Bethlehem. Um, and, um, and, and then, I mean, actually, slowly, Israel locked down as well because they started to get a number of um, cases. So the but there hasn't been any um, let up in the annexation plans Um now, at the moment, so I'm, I'm, I was supposed to be going out in March, but obviously it was one of the first um, events to get cancelled. Um, so they went into lockdown before we did in the UK. 
we um so obviously we couldn't go on our trip the bethlehem marathon which is a huge marathon um uh, it's very much on the marathon circuit a lot of people from around the world go there that was cancelled as well um and as well as obviously selling its goods and products uh where they can and it's limited as to because everything goes through um israel tourism is a massive thing in palestine huge really? because of course you've got all the religious sites you've got jericho you've got bethlehem you've got jerusalem people go to nablus Tiber, um ramallah you know they they have uh, they they have a lot of hotels and uh, a lot of people go out there I remember the first, uh, interestingly enough, actually, I remember the first time that I had my um, the, the schedule sent over to when we were going to go out. And this was in um, March 2018. And we were given the lists of the hotels and I looked them up and I was like, what? <laughs> These are the best hotels I've ever stayed in. I mean, some, you know, really lovely hotels. Um, and uh, I mean, if you if you look past, you know, if you go back, into looking at the history of Palestine, it was a place very much like um, Persia. You know, they had a very rich, vibrant um, cultural place where tourists did used to go. So Thompson holidays would go, and this is where the rich people wow. would go. They would go by boat, they would go by train, and they would stay in these luxurious hotels. So the luxurious hotels are still there, but they have been uh, worn down like no one's business, but they, but because of the the whole kind of like, it's the, I mean, you you get Christians from all over the world going there, um, and uh, and of course Muslims as well uh, as well because the because the Al Aqsa Mosque is the um, in the top three important um, mosques in the world, so um, when it's it's part of um islam is that you will go to the various mosques these various mosques and to pray there and so um you you go on a pilgrimage to go to the al-aqsa mosque to pray there um so a lot of obviously christians will be going to go to places like jericho where it was the um sermon on the mount also jericho because it's the lowest city in the world bethlehem because of course that's the birthplace of Jesus, um, Jerusalem, where uh, I mean that's just the the, the centre of religion for the whole world, um, and uh, and 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 also there is uh, so Tiber, one of the um, sort of smaller towns, is a very Christian town, and they have their own beer festival there. <laughs> so Tiber have got their own brewery and they have their own their own beer and it's a mixture of alcoholic and non-alcoholic beer and every um september there is a beer festival there and people travel from all over the world to go there as well as lots of the um expats that are working in in palestine that will go there as well that is amazing and also that's the sort of stuff that you don't see or hear about i mean i i remember sort of um watching not that long ago it's from quite a, oh, six seven years ago now was the anthony bourdain parts unknown episode about israel palestine i don't know if you've seen it but it is no i haven't it, it's it's wonderful it's it's a, it's so beautiful that he just goes and meets people and sees life in palestine and i just uh recall watching it thinking 
I just have never seen any of this on the television. I've never no, seen no. how people live and how people are. All I see is the kind of, you know, the the very tragic elements, um, you know, and, yeah. and even then I don't see that enough, I think. But it, it really mm-hmm. shocked me at how little I know about it or, or the people. Yeah. There, there was an article in uh, a paper um, a few months back and it was talking about Palestine and, the and, and you know, it was talking about... Um, the what was happening with annexation and what have you the one photograph they showed of palestinians was of a young palestinian um with a slingshot that's that's all they show that's the stock photographs whereas i've got all the photographs of sitting around with families having food um meeting the children you know it's uh, you know it's just utterly ridiculous that that's their stock photograph and it, it's, you know, it, it, the thing is, it's it's dehumanising them for, for what they really are. And they are, you know, it's, I mean, I I met um, a school teacher when we were, we were cycling around. We happened to stop outside school um, and they were, you know, we, we stopped to get ice cream. The school kids sort of like rushed to sort of like see these foreigners, you know, at the school gates. And then you heard the, the school bell go. And a lot of the, the girls went in, but there was this one sort of like core group of girls whose English was impeccable and they kind of like stayed there. The next thing, you know, a teacher's coming along to sort of like what's going on, you know, we get chatting um, and a year later I'm staying with her family. Ah, oh, that's amazing. And that, you know, that's, yeah, yeah, that's that's how it happens. You know, and I, I mean, I'd literally met her for that, you know, short period of time. And, you know, we stayed in contact, but nothing like I contact, you know, many of my friends on a regular basis. It was just the occasional, hi, I'm coming back out to Palestine. You know, is it okay to come and visit you? And it was literally the month before I went that I actually discovered that she's one of eight, Um, you know, two brothers, um, there's six daughters, live in the same house with their, with their parents um apart from two of the daughters that were married and had their own their own family and I was like oh, I had no idea <laughs> that's amazing oh so, yeah yeah that's amazing I mean, so I mean you know the, the, what's coming in the next few days is really really concerning um but I've been reading about Netanyahu's currently on trial for corruption although it could take months or years mm-hmm. or and there's been a lot of anger you know anger about him you know against i think anti netanyahu anger uh, i believe or what yes. i've read um and then also you know the israeli government's now in a sort of coalition with the blue and white alliance who may be handed the presidency next year is that is that hopeful would a change of party and control be good for palestine not at all not in any way shape or form so let me um uh, i made some notes actually on um so, so Gantz, so Gantz, Benny Gantz is the, the, the leader of the Blue and White Party. Mm. Um, now, he actually was a, um, he, he's a warmonger and he orchestrated the destructive war on the Gaza Strip in 2014. He shared absolutely no remorse, even though there was a really heavy death toll. Um, and he's actually boasted about um, sending parts of Gaza back to the Stone Age. As far as he's concerned, the job is not yet finished. He wants to flatten Gaza. Um, and, I mean, together they have seen the submit- systematic I- annihilation um, 
of besieged Gaza, resulting over 2,200 deaths and the destruction of 18,000 housing units. Um, and I don't know if you know this, but Gaza was bombed last night. Last thing last I night. last night, yeah. And it 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 just doesn't make the news. Um, I you know I have a, a lot. I follow. I have a lot of Palestinian friends, and I I follow a lot of uh, reporters. And literally, as I went to bed, I just saw the words "Gaza is under attack," and then I just stay away, stayed awake, and just watched this feed of um, photographs coming through of of um, both the northern part of Gaza and the southern part of Gaza being bombed. And it, it's relentless, absolutely, totally and utterly relentless. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And we'll be back with Nikki in a minute, but first... Okay, it's a long old episode, this one, as it is. So here is a very quick Covards and Covesards. An apple a day keeps the doctor away, right? Though I wouldn't advise lobbing it at health professionals should they approach, as that is not nice and not allowed. And I also wouldn't recommend you try to cure all ailments with a Granny Smith. But we can all agree that fruit and veg is important, which is why as the Prime Minister launches his new Boris diet, which seems to mostly involve other people doing all the hard work, it's odd that the government have taken away vitamins from kids. The school's fruit and veg scheme was launched in 2000 and entitled every child aged 4 to 6 a piece of fruit at school to make sure they got one of their five a day. It meant that 2.3 million kids in over 16,000 schools across England got an apple from their teacher without even having to do a good collage covered in pasta for it. But this scheme was suspended during the coronavirus pandemic out of worries that food would go to waste, what with not many kiddies being in classrooms and schools closing. Except there doesn't appear to be any plans to restart it again, and many school PTAs are currently having to fund it themselves on the little donations they have. The government didn't make a big fuss about not restarting it, as it turns out already having the legacy of Margaret Thatcher Milk Snatcher, they probably didn't want everyone to come up with Johnson Johnson leaves children's five a day needs to ransom. Okay, it doesn't quite work, but it's nearly there. It's nearly, it depends on how you say 
ransomed, doesn't it? There's a petition going around to restart the school's fruit and veg scheme, uh, but it doesn't have too many signatures right now, and based on how it took a well-known footballer just to get the government to agree to not starve kids, it's probably not going to come back unless someone like Beyonce decides to kick off about it. I popped the petition in the podcast blurb and fingers crossed something changes, but it's very sad that the government promises not to overload the NHS and to get people healthy, but at the same time actively stops kids from liking those apples. The Green Alliance think tank says that £14 billion more funding a year is needed if the UK would like to fulfil any of their commitments to tackle climate change, for once. Johnson is making a big speech this week on the economic proposals to get the country back up and running, but what we know so far is it seems to include a load of money for roads, which unless people are going to cycle down the middle of them or start riding donkeys again, doesn't show much enthusiasm for a greener country. There's a lot of call for the new normal to be a green one, from public and businesses, as everyone's enjoyed not chuffing on car farts that much during the crisis and hearing birds sing about shagging each other every morning. Well, the Green Alliance reckon retrofitting buildings with energy-saving measures and cycle lanes, followed by electric ferries and reforestation, among others, with some suggesting that actually better broadband, I mean, who would suggest that? What a ridiculous idea. Ugh, I wouldn't vote for that. Would mean that more people could continue to work from home, which, of course, would save on polluting travel and also water, as people don't wash clothes as often sitting in the same pants on Zoom calls as they have done all week. Just me? Oh, just me, isn't it? Oh, oh dear. A number 10 spokesperson says that the Prime Minister wants the UK to have the most ambitious environmental programme of any country on Earth. Considering our track and trace app was meant to be world-beating and didn't even happen, I'm expecting that this time next week I'll be telling you that Boris Johnson has vowed to spend £400 billion on throwing coal into a fire the size of Derby. The Home Office has ended its suspension of asylum evictions, meaning that any asylum seekers in government-funded accommodation have to leave by the end of June. I mean, there's nothing more comforting to someone who's escaped persecution or war to find that they're not remotely welcome in the place they've fled to for shelter, is there? I mean, how lovely, how hospitable. The government say that they're helping councils to get these people onto the social housing ladder, which already has too many steps and is far too narrow for the amount of people that need to get on it. But many asylum seekers are worried that it's not going to come in in time and they'll be left homeless. Councils are also having to deal with the surge of homeless people leaving their emergency accommodation and people who'll be made homeless when the rented accommodation eviction ban ends and they can no longer afford to pay their rent. The Home Office have, unsurprisingly, not really said much or offered any guidance, but it does seem like it'll be appropriate to add the word less onto their department's name. And now, back to Nikki. Gosh, that's really, I mean, you know, and I'm someone that's of the opinion that it's constantly disproportionate force from Israel. I don't, I find it very hard to, to understand that you'd see otherwise. But what's your, um, you know, what's your argument against people always go, oh, the, the, they've started, it was Habasa terrorists, et cetera, et cetera, which is always the argument I see across Twitter. What, what's your counter for that? Go with what the United Nations says. Go with what the Red Cross says. Go with what medical aid for Palestinians say, you know. Go with what war on want says. These are all, they're either international, um, internationally recognised groups, they're healthcare groups, they're peace groups, they're Christian groups, you know, and they have no desire to make up any of the numbers. Um, and the, the, the facts are, I mean, it's there's um, a book which talks about Hamas and how it was created by Israel. And actually, um, so what Israel does is they, they do they do recruit um, a lot of Palestinians because they pay them a lot of money to spy, and um, and so I mean the thing is it's it's like you know you say oh Hamas started it well do you know what Hamas 
aren't that old. They, I, I, I can't remember when they were formed, but we're talking about 15 years max. The destruction of Palestine has been going on for over 70 years. So if you hit someone for 70 years, by the time it gets to sort of like the 50th, 60th time of hitting that person, they're actually going to get up and back and hit you back. Hmm. It, it's, I mean, the disproportionate number of people who are displaced during the Nakba in 1948 and then the Six Day War in 1967, you know, Hamas didn't exist then. They did not exist. Thousands of people's lives were destroyed. So this whole kind of like, oh, Hamas, Hamas, Hamas. And what basically what Hamas are doing anyway, um, it's like they're saying, oh, here, uh, we'll throw a firework at you. Whereas, you know, you've got the full force of the American and British um, arms industry behind you, completely destroying, you know. And I mean, if you look at the numbers of people who have been that have been killed, there is just absolutely no comparison whatsoever. I mean, I, it's interesting because I, in a way, the Palestinian issue has sort of like um, come to the fore a little bit. And I only say a little bit with regards to Black Lives Matter, because if you look at the disproportionate number of um, blacks, both in the UK and the USA, who are stopped and searched, who are in prison, who are murdered, um, you know, by the authorities, um, it, it is, you know, unbelievable. It really is. And it's very much that with regards to the Palestinians um, and, and Israel. It really, really is. So it's, you know, it's no Hamas didn't start it at all. Um, the Zionists started it when they, I mean, it, it was just horrendous what they did. And not just uh, in Palestine itself and Gaza, but also in Lebanon. Um, I don't know if you remember the 1982 um, uh, Sabra and Shatila massacre in the Lebanon and it was basically, it was, I mean, it was Lebanese uh, militias that did it, but they were, um, you know, in, they, they were sort of doing the job on behalf of the Israelis. And the, the, the slaughter uh, was just absolutely horrendous. So, um, and, you know, I mean, Palestinians um, have, they've been refugees, you know, in various countries. I mean, there's Palestinians who were refugees in Syria, and they've now had to be, they've ne they are now refugees away from Syria again. And Palestinians in Lebanon have no rights, no, no rights um, in the same way that Lebanese people have rights. So they're, they're refugees, you know, with it. And, and as I say, there's, there's so many refugees in Gaza, so many refugees in, um, in Bethlehem, I mean, all over. And there's massive refugee camps all over Palestine. And uh, I also want to just uh, the Zionists that came up a lot recently with the big anti-Semitism issue that anyone that spoke out against Zionism was anti-Semitic. And I, my, my dad's uh, Jewish and went to a Jewish school and doesn't have any friends left from there because a lot of his friends became Zionists and anti-Palestine. And he's very pro-Palestine. Oh. And it's been he was listed as a bad Jew on websites for ages. It was quite traumatic for him. Um, and and it's sort of very. Um, uh, sort of very muggy about what Zionism is, but it's it's not 
Jewishness. It's not Jewish people. It is a very specific political and ideological faction, isn't it? Of Yeah, absolutely. It really, really is. So my niece and nephew are Jews and um, and they're like most Jews. They are um, atheists. Um, and there are there are millions of Jews around the world and you don't you don't see the pictures of them. But there's the um, there, there are a lot of Jews living in Israel who demonstrate against what the Netanyahu government are doing. There's the there's the, the sort of like there's the younger Jews, the younger generation who, um, again, they've been holding demonstrations, um, standing in solidarity with uh, Black Lives Matter. They've also been holding demonstrations against the annexation. But there are, um, there, well, there's the Torah Jews and the Haredi Jews. But there was, I was looking at an article. I mean, they get beaten up. Uh, they actually get beaten up in, um, in Jerusalem as well. Uh, where you, and there's this. So the, the the Zionists are basically just right wing thugs. You know, you you just just think of you know the BNP, but supposedly with a religion, you know, behind their behind their names. Whereas in fact, then you know they are they, there's no religion to them at all. It was really interesting because my my niece, um, I think she must have been about fifteen, sixteen at the time. Uh, there were reports of the attacks on um, Palestine. And she just suddenly went, I'm not a Jew anymore. And I said, actually, you are still a Jew. You just don't like what the Israeli state are doing in your name. Um, there's a big, big difference. And so, yeah, I mean, and there, there are so many uh, really outspoken um, Israeli Jews who are just can't, you know, can't abide what's what's being done in their name. What? What can we do at the moment? I mean, because the the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement was, um, you know, the, the government pushed through uh, laws, was it four years ago, that meant that public institutions couldn't uh, couldn't boycott things that came from the Israeli they, state? They, they, they failed. It's been overturned. That's what, I, that's what I was going to ask. Great. So that's been overturned. So is yeah. that a good tactic? And what else can people do to support? Absolutely. Well, there's a number of things. So, um, I mean, I, you know, I grew up in the time of the boycott of um, apartheid South Africa. There is nothing different uh, between the apartheid South Africa and apartheid um, Israel. And in fact, it's worse. And even the, I mean, the biggest supporters of Palestine are the South Africans because they know what they went through with apartheid. Um, they are so supportive of Palestine. So BDS is so important. You know, it's it really is a case of not buying um, Israeli goods. There, there's got to be. There's also there's the um, here's a booklet uh, called the the case for a uh, cultural boycott of Israel, um, where it's. I mean, there's actually been. I think it was 750 artists have just signed um, a letter calling um, on the on the, the the world to basically stop the annexation of Palestine by um, by Israel. Um, a couple of people who are very outspoken in that is uh, Roger Waters from Pink Floyd. Um, but they, there's been big campaigns by 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 BDS um, to to, you know, actually uh, bring about a cultural boycott of um, of Israel. And it's been successful to a certain degree with regards to stopping 
various, um, you know, quite well-known artists from going out there and, uh, and, and playing in Tel Aviv. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's huge to, to actually do that. Um, there was a massive campaign for Madonna not to go and sing in Eurovision mm. in, in Israel. Um, I mean, unfortunately, she did continue to sing, but um, I mean, two of her dancers had um, the, the, the Israeli flag and the Palestinian flag on their backs. The, um, so Madonna wasn't um, sanctioned or anything like that, but the, the dancer who had the Palestinian um, flag on her back had an absolute horrid time leaving um, Ben-Gurion F- uh, Airport, a really bad time leaving Ben-Gurion Airport. Wow, but not the dancer um, with I don't, I don't, not the dancer with the Israeli flag who held their hand. No, wow, just the dancer that had the Palestinian. They are so. so they are. They, petty, they, they yeah. cannot. They. They are. I don't know what it is. It's really bizarre. But there is no way that I could wear my Palestinian t- um, football shirt in to um, through through Ben Gurion Airport. Um, I have a, a wristband. I could not wear my wristband that says "Medical Aid for Palestinians" on it. I could not wear my wristbands that has the Palestinian flag on it. But not just going through the airport. Um, one of my um, colleagues from when I was there last March, he went through a checkpoint um, in Jerusalem, going to um, going to see the the Western Wall. One of the soldiers uh, on the checkpoint spotted his um, Palestinian wristband and confiscated it from him. A wristband made of beads with a Palestinian flag confiscated. I mean, it's utterly preposterous. What are they so scared of? It's, it's completely bonkers, completely bonkers. So, I mean, the, the very important question you said, we said to how to support them, the BDS movement is important. Yeah. What other ways you mentioned to me before we started recording about medical aid for Palestinians, which you've, yes. you've said a few times in this, this interview, but why they're, they're a particularly good place to, to support? They, they are a fantastic charity. So they were set up by a couple of orthopaedic surgeons who actually went out with the Red Cross um, uh, to Lebanon as a result of the um, Sabra Shatila massacre, including um, one, of the, one of the main ones was Ang Sui Chai. Uh, she's a refugee herself. And um, she went out there and she was she, she actually went out. Um, so she's a, she's a, I don't know, she's about four foot ten uh incredible orthopedic surgeon um and she went out there as a very pro-israeli christian and you know she was like couldn't quite believe what was going on and what have you and her eyes were completely opened and her you know her opinions so turned around and she's like but why are they doing this and and so she found out more um and she set up medical aid for Palestinians after that with with a couple of colleagues and um, and also support from her own husband. And basically what MAP do is that they provide um, health and dignity to Palestinians, both in the um, whether they're or not in Palestine. And that means the West Bank and that means in Gaza, but also the refugees in Lebanon. And they have fantastic programs um, around um, providing, uh, they're kind of like um, their mobile health clinics. 
So um, they're basically sort of like mini buses that are kitted out um, with everything you need to sort of like run a clinic. Um, I'm just going to see if I've got a picture of one here. I don't know if I have one or not. But um, and they that cost they cost about one hundred and fifty thousand pounds to buy and then run for a year. Um, and and they are staffed with a doctor, a nurse, another healthcare worker, and a driver. And they go around um, predominantly into the the, the the Bedouin communities. So the Bedouin communities are the most um, sort of people who are are out of reach um, and have the least facilities. And they are their homes are constantly destroyed by um, by Israel. Um, and and they they basically built up incredible trust whereby they it used to be that they would go to the to the villages and they would in the communities and they would you know try and sort of say please come to us for any kind of like health issues vaccines helping with you know um, births of children etc um, all sorts of you know med medical assistance so now not having to go around ask, but there are queues of the, the Bedouin waiting for when the van's going to turn up. Um, and it, it's incredible trust. So they've saved um, hundreds of uh, both women and babies dying in, in labor. Um, they, they have all sorts of vaccination programs. They run, uh, so the mental health situation in Palestine is absolutely dire. I mean, if you could imagine um, being made refugees, living in a refugee camp in, you know, squalid conditions, um, ha you know, seeing uh, families taken away from you, um, seeing your loved ones killed, imprisoned, uh, you know, the, the, the mental health situation is, is absolutely horrendous in Palestine. So with the Palestinians, um, they, they have a very comprehensive mental health program, and that's for both adults and for um, children as well. They run a fantastic um, breast cancer campaign. If you are in the West Bank uh, or in Gaza, you're, the chances of you dying as a result of breast cancer um, is twice as high there compared with in the uk wow. and israel because you have to have many of the hospitals are obviously in israel there's not the same numbers of, uh, of, of facilities in palestine um partly you know they've been destroyed um and so but you have to have permission to go into Jerusalem and that's the only way in for Palestinians to get to um, Israel to get to the hospital you have to have permission and the permission is you know it's they they don't it, I mean it's unbelievable that they the, the permission they do not get or they get too late and the the um, the breast cancer has gone too far and so no treatment will work um, there have actually been women who have died at checkpoints waiting to go through i mean it is absolutely appalling you know and it, it's it's no way to treat any human so mm. they're they they've the, the the part of the breast cam uh, breast cancer campaign that they've had is to come up with a um a, they, they had a campaign to raise money for a particular piece of equipment that they could have in a hospital in ramallah so that they could actually treat um women there 
as opposed to them having to get permission to travel to get treatment. So, um, so you know, that's that's another one of their programs. Um, I'm sure everybody's heard about the Great March of Return, um, which had actually started on the 70th anniversary of um, the 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 uh, Nakba, the catastrophe, and it's basically it's the right of return to their own homes. Um, and as a result of that, um, Israeli troops just fired indiscriminately at the protesters um, and they targeted limbs. So they deliberately targeted the legs of young Palestinians and they targeted them with um, exploding bullets. So not just a bullet that goes through, but a bullet that goes in and explodes inside the legs. So they shatter the legs. Ugh. So Gaza, uh, sorry, um, MAP have been instrumental in taking UK um, physicians and surgeons out there um, to, to basically um, assist the Palestinian doctors and surgeons in limb reconstruction. Um, I mean, I've, if you ever hear any of the surgeons from here that's gone out to talk about it, it's absolutely phenomenal. It really, really is. I heard this one... Um, uh, doctor she was she was from an orthopedic surgeon from um, from St Thomas's Hospital um, I think she was in her 30s she kind of like you know wasn't really sure about going out but got persuaded by one of her seniors and she's just like you know she was there for um, a short period of time mind absolutely blown couldn't believe what she was seeing and so she is going back again um, to do more limb reconstruction and uh, you know, it, yeah. it, it, she, she says it's she. She has been, she has been out to places like um, Iraq and Af Afghanistan, and she says that the wounds that she's seen here are worse. And wow. that's just people going on a peaceful demonstration for their rights to return. Gosh, that's really horrific. Really horrific. But um, so, medical aid for so, Palestinians is is a very important one that people can go to they're, they're such an amazing charity and and in fact they um so they they have been out in israel for 30 years they have headquarters in jerusalem um they i mean there are various sort of like um uh, again well right-wing conspiracy theories that um and in fact somebody that i knew and i was just like that's the end of our friendship but she she claimed that all money that went to map went on um, palaces in um, Palestine wow. for Hamas leaders and it's just like I can't believe you've actually said that um, I've been in their offices and I've seen the medicines being packed to go out to um, you know the West Bank and to Gaza um, I've met with the people working on the front line um, in the West Bank you know, actually doing the healthcare treatment and and you know getting the the supplies to people. I mean, it's just phenomenal what 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 they do. That's incredible. I just, um, is there some you know some confused with palaces and Palestine? There must be something going. I don't know how you'd come to that conclusion. I <laughs> My just goodness. Do not know. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks tons to Nikki for having time to chat. Um, you can find her on Twitter at SLONCycling4PA1 um, and I'll put a link to her fundraiser for Medical Aid for Palestine in the podcast blurb too. Please do donate and support if you can. Uh, Medical Aid for Palestine can be found at www.map.org.uk uh, or on Twitter at Medical Aid Pal. 
I'll put all the links and suggestions that Nikki recommended um, that I didn't include in this interview. I'll put all those on the page on partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk for this episode if you fancy a look there later in the week. Who on this podcast shall I do talking to next? I'm still looking for someone to talk about uh, education and schools going back. I'd love to talk to an epidemiologist or someone who can talk about the supposed science the government have or haven't been following too. Um, But I'm aware there's so much I haven't covered on this show. What are those things? Who does do the knowing about them things? Let me know and drop me a line with any suggestions for interviewees to the at Parpolbro Twitter account, the Partly Political Broadcast Facebook group, the contact page at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk or email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Or you could charge down to an overcrowded beach and spell it out using all the poo you've had to do in bags and various bits of litter you've left there, and authorities will probably think the person you've suggested has signed their name with everything they've dumped. They'll get fined and they definitely won't be all that happy talking to the person who suggested this method of communication in the first place. Oh well. As always, it's probably just best to email, isn't it? And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. And yes, once again, you've made it all the way to the finale of the show, which means it is time for a Parpolbro Hot Podcast Fact! As Boris Johnson thinks a still photograph of him humping the floor shows that he can do press-ups, do you know this week which politician was actually the sportiest throughout all of history and time? No, it wasn't former US President Abraham Lincoln winning all but one of the wrestling matches he took part in. He did loads, genuinely, look him up. He did loads of wrestling matches and he won all of them except one. I really hope his finishing move was called the Emancipation Proclamation. He just let his opponent go free. Uh, nor is it Japanese politician Ryoko Tami Tamura, who remained unbeaten at judo for 12 years and won two Olympic gold medals. I mean, what better to take into a political career than a series of grappling techniques? Um, but actually... I'll tell you who it is. As much as I joke about his press-up attempts, Boris Johnson is the sportiest politician ever because throughout his career, if you can call it that, you know, his career in politics, he's never around when you need him because he's always run a mile. Yeah, the Pop Opera Hot Polgos fact! And if you enjoyed that or hated it so much that it's given you the drive to finally sort out that cupboard just so you can sit in it and not listen to this, then please do spread the word about this podcast and its uses to all your chums and mums and mums of chums. Give the show a nice review on your podcast apps and donate if you can to the Kofi or Patreon because the virus killed my job. Cheers, my dears, to Acast, my brother, the last skeptic, who has a new single called No Good Mess um, out now. Do check that out. Uh, Cat Day and Mushy Bees as well. Uh, this will be back next week when Boris Johnson announces that his new economic plan for the country is investment in a massive bridge over everything his government have neglected. Bye. This week's show was sponsored by Be Poor for Britain. Do you want to help your country, patriot? Well, we need you to not eat very much, be unable to afford your bills, and try your best to get jobs that existed over ten years ago in order to help the country and pay for a paint job on the Prime Minister's plane. The only way out of this virus-filled economic hellhole situation is by plane, and the Prime Minister insists that he needs it to go on holiday while you all demand things of him. So, good citizen, be poor for Britain. It's the only way to make sure this country stays for the British, as frankly no one else will want to visit once they see the state we're in. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.